Sports Geeky Podcast. This is episode number 37. My name, as always, is Alex Streamer. We're coming to you here on this Saturday, a glorious Saturday, because we've made it through another week of our daily dystopia. We had uh, another presidential debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden that featured a lot less interrupting on Trump's part, but uh, not any more substance. I mean, how low is the bar now? that Donald Trump just keeps his deranged inanity within his allotted two minutes and suddenly is being praised by the New York Times, Politico, and all these political pundits on cable news for being so civil and substantial. Really? He was rambling on and on about our beautiful health care. <laughs> I mean, they love their health care! I have not met anybody who loves their health care. They love their health care! I mean, yes, this is a guy who's very substantial. He's very substantial. We're turning the corner on COVID. Yeah, we set a new record in cases on Thursday. So what? We're turning a corner. Yeah, that substance, really? Come on. How low is the freaking bar? <sighs> That's my question. But enough of Trump. He's in our lives too much. This is a Trump-free zone for the rest of the show. It's a sports kiki. I mentioned episode number 37. We're available wherever you can find your favorite out sports podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We are there. Uh, I'm very excited about... The guest, uh, our guest this week, uh, Ryan Russell, is an openly bisexual NFL free agent. He came out to ESPN and Outsports uh, last summer in August of 2019, and he has a new essay up on Out Magazine, which is the primary reason why we're having him on the show this week. It was published a couple of weeks ago, and it's titled Dear NFL, If You Want to Be LGBTQ Plus Allies, Hire Out Players, and the essay is centered around the National Coming Out Day video that the NFL put out there, including many stars such as Rob Gronkowski, DeAndre Hopkins, Kalias Campbell, Anthony Barr, Jarvis Landry, lots of very visible star players in this video expressing their support for the LGBT community, and also out NFL free agents and former NFL players such as Wade Davis, Ryan O'Callaghan, and yes, Ryan Russell are also featured in this video. So Russell writes an essay about the video and about the NFL's pro-LGBT stance, and he brings up the league's initiatives to fight to, uh, to uh, combat domestic violence and its reaction to the Kaepernick protests and its stance now on Black Lives Matter. And this is Russell's closing paragraph, and this is where I think the story packs so much punch and why I'm really looking forward to talking with him this week, because he is still a free agent who wants to play in the league, and... He's unapologetic about his viewpoints, about the league, and how they've handled these things. This is how the essay concludes. If the NFL wanted to send a message about domestic violence, they should have permanently suspended those players who were offenders. If the NFL wanted to really make a stand with its players for racial justice, they should have picked up Colin Kaepernick and let him play. But now they have the chance to do the right thing in the right moment. If they want to create an inclusive league, one that is free of homophobia, one that sends a message of love and inclusivity to young people, here I am. Give me a call. It is hard to be more direct than that. Here I am. Give me a call. Well, he gave us a call on this week's show, Ryan Russell. Very excited to welcome him, welcome him to the Sports Kiki. That conversation is next. Thank you, as always, for listening. And welcome back to the Sports Kiki Podcast. As we said in the opening, very excited for our guest this week. His name is Ryan Russell. He's a Los Angeles-based poet, writer, and currently NFL free agent. Ryan, welcome to the Sports Kiki Podcast. How are you, my friend? 
I'm great. Thank you for having me. I am ready, willing, and I love the word kiki, so I'm here to do that. <laughs> we're here to we're here to kiki. I mean, it's, a, it's you know, it's the weekend. We're getting ready. Um, and that's good. Yeah. Most of the guests who I've had on actually have said they don't know what the word kiki means. So I'm glad we're already on a positive note. <laughs> How do they not know? What is what's it's, going on? <laughs> they live under the sports rock is what happens. They live under ah, a basketball or it. something. I don't know. Got it. Um, so <laughs> the first question I want to ask you is, uh, and this, I think my most pertinent question, I watched your latest YouTube video, uh, with Corey. What was your favorite chapstick flavor in the chapstick challenge? <laughs> oh my God. Honestly, they were all kind of bad. I think as everyone knows, chapstick is not meant to like really be edible, but you would think mm. since you put it on your lips, it would be somewhat decent. Uh, if I have to go with one, I would say probably like the strawberry because it was the most non like throw upable <laughs> flavor. Sorry, Chapstick. I know y'all are never going to give me like a deal or anything, but um, not the greatest. <laughs> the cherry Chapstick is pretty tasty, though. Have you had that? No, because cherry reminds me of like as a young kid, especially growing up like early 90s, every medicine, everything was cherry. Yeah. It's like, oh, so cherry just reminds me of like really bad medicine. <laughs> like cough syrup on your lips. Oh, God. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah. Well, it's, 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 you're channeling Katy Perry, though, every time you put it on, or at least I feel that way. <laughs> um, what's the, uh, the, car- the, 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 car- the caramel, the caramel, a caramel, I agree. Caramel, not caramel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was, um, was not tasty. I'm surprised. It's, uh, I'm not a huge, caramel and or caramel person it kind of honestly and i got that one wrong that was like the one i got wrong it tastes like butterscotch to me like kind of like an old kind of grandma candy that you get out of she like gets out of the bottom of her purse love grandmas no shade to grandmas um once again chapstick will never give me an endorsement after this but i said what i said (laughs) i said what i said well i am open for endorsements so if anyone from chapstick is listening preferably cherry as i said um so you've had this YouTube video with your boyfriend, uh, Corey, for over a year. Um, you've been very busy during quarantine with it all. What, what, are you, what, is, the, uh, what is the goal, I guess, of this page? To, uh, because it's, I, I love it. It's, it's great. Oh, my God. So, well, first and foremost, have fun. Like, we started our YouTube. Yes. This is something creative and cool and fun we can do together. Um, also, giving a platform and normalizing uh, same gender, same sex couples. Yes. Uh, was like a great benefit of it and really just a place where we could kind of also create a little more intimate connection. I mean, everything that we're doing both professionally um, in advocacy and and activism and just in sport and and for him and dance and all these things are very kind of serious, you know, topics. You don't really get to kind of like sit back and unwind and just be goofy and be silly. Um, So we wanted that experience, but we also wanted people to be able to see that so that we are like full human beings (laughs) (laughs) that we have, you know, a loving relationship. We have personality and character and we, like things and dislike things and we get into it a little bit and we make up and we're, you know, we're human beings basically. So we wanted to become um, real in everyone's lives and hopefully, like I said, just normalize uh, same sex and same gender relationships or just different kind of relationships. Yeah. And I mean, the amazing thing is, so you started dating men in 2015. You're breaking into the NFL. Mm -hmm. Could you have imagined that five years down the road, you'd be so open like this and have your own YouTube channel with your boyfriend? (laughs) No, I mean, two years ago, I couldn't have imagined, okay. imagined that. Uh, no, I mean, life, honestly, 
leading up to coming out and since coming out are so completely different. I joke about it with Corey all the time. I'm like, I feel like within my adult life, I've lived five different lives already. Like, yeah. it's just so different. And it's each life that I've lived in this, you know, in this weird little analogy where I'm apparently dying and being reborn. Uh, I feel more and more <laughs> like myself, <laughs> more and more like the person that yeah. I should be and the person I was born to be and meant to be, which is amazing. Yeah, I, the way I always phrase it is like I view my coming out as like the pre-coming out and post-coming out, like the before Christ and after death, BC, AD. That's how I view my com my life in terms of coming out. And like you, I feel like after coming out, I've had a lot of rebirths. I'm coming out where I'm comfortable saying I'm dating men, but I'm not really comfortable being friends with gay men. Now I'm more comfortable being friends with yeah. gay men. Now I'm comfortable dressing up in drag a little bit. It's it's like this constant evolution. I like that kind of a rebirth. And it's so crazy because I feel like I've heard people's experience of coming out and then having to like kind of keep coming out, like re-coming out. Like you come out to your friends and your family, you come out to you know, maybe at work or maybe different settings or you meet someone you have to, but it's really kind of not like that for me. Like I came out once very big and like very publicly and, and kind of like now everyone kind of knows. Like if I meet someone and they don't know, it's kind of weird for me because I'm like, oh, I, I guess this is what other people feel when they have to come out over and over again. Like my boyfriend, Corey, he came out super young. So every time, you know, he went to a new school or like a new job or something, like he kind of has to keep doing that, kind of have to keep like coming out. I don't know why also in society we're so forced to tell people, hey, yeah, I'm sexually attracted to any, you know, anyone. <laughs> but yeah. my coming out, yeah, it's definitely, it's a little, it's unique. It's definitely a little different. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so I know that, you know, you, you had the public announcement last August, but what is, um, prior to that, how many people in your circle new did it expand on a weekly basis monthly basis not at all oh god a uh, little to not at all moving yeah. when i moved to la um i think that was kind of the quickest maybe most rapid growth because i moved here i was kind of away from football at the time it was a completely new place and no one really knew me so i kind of started out fresh and then i kind of was introducing myself to people that i would meet as bisexual so that was kind of like my first time kind of getting comfortable even with like saying it out of my own mouth, because even though I had known it for years, I never really said it. You know, you never really claim it out loud um, when yeah. you're in the closet. So, so I think that was the most kind of rapid growth I had. And even then, it was maybe like four, four people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. In my inner circle, as loving and as great as it is, small. I, I don't think I hit double-digit people knowing that I was bisexual until, like I said, the, the very public announcement a year ago. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I've always been interested in this, and, you know, I read your story last year, and I think you said, it was either to ESPN or us, but you said that you've never felt more safe than, you've never felt unsafe in an NFL locker room. You've always felt comfortable yeah. there, but I've said, but then you, but you weren't public about your attraction to men. So how did, how did you feel mm -hmm. so comfortable in a place where you did, you weren't 100% of yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, post coming out and pre coming out, I do feel as though I'm a very private person. Now I feel like the times where I'm not private is to speak up for those who are endangered or are treated as less than or whose, you know, safety is in question or even their own self worth or identity um, is that question. So I think that has prompted me to be more open. But my private life is still very private. Um, and I approach football at the professional level as a business. And when I go into the locker room, yes, it's a very safe place, a very welcoming place. I felt very welcome there. But at the same time, I've had a very business mindset. So I can talk about any 
topic, where it be politics, sports, music, sexuality, whatever, openly, but my private life is still my private life. Um, so, so it was, it was, it's interesting being a young black, also bisexual man, and just being a black man in general, you learn to compartmentalize when you walk into certain spaces, especially since a lot of spaces, um, you find yourself being the minority. A lot of spaces were created by people that, you know, do not look like you, do not have your best interests at, at heart. There are spaces that pretty much are not created for you. So you learn to compartmentalize as a black person, as a young black boy very early on. Um, so sexuality for me also kind of fell into that compartment. I was like, okay, okay, I'm in the locker room. You know, I'm not, I don't talk about my sexuality. I'm on the field, you know, in 2016 when Colin Kaepernick knelt um, and did that very public showing about public protest. That was novel to me because between the white lines, I didn't think of myself as a black person. You know, I thought of myself as a football player, mm-hmm. kind of the, more of that compartmentalization. Um, so for me, it was very easy. It was just how I learned that people like me existed and not just people like me in the LGBTQ plus community, but black people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, now I know post coming out, <laughs> that is not. Uh, how any human being should feel, think, or um, treat themselves, essentially. Uh, but at that time, it felt very natural for me. And were you, were you happy? Yes and no. <laughs> I think yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know the depths of what happiness was. And mm-hmm. if you never have something, you don't really know it's missing. Um, so right. there are things where at that moment, the highs were, you know, they were the highest that I knew. I loved them. The lows at that time, of course, were the lowest I knew. I hated them. Uh, now looking back, I was like, oh, my God, you could have been so much happier. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there was a reason that that big win, you know, you weren't shouting from the rooftops. Yeah, you didn't know better then, but, like, I know better now, and I don't want anyone else to kind of um, compromise their happiness and kind of put a cap, really, on their on their joy, uh, whether they know it or not. Yeah, and uh, and I'm always just curious. I mean, so you're breaking in with the Cowboys, right, in 2015, and mm-hmm. when you first publicly start, pub- privately rather, dating men, just what was the reaction of the men who you were dating? What, was it a topic of discussion? Was it unspoken? I'm always curious about that kind of thing. Well, the first interact before any real conversation um, or interaction, or even if I would go so far as to say conventional dating, um, you know, there it was. It was talked about. It was like, this is what I do. I'm in the closet. That is not changing. Um, <laughs> you know, right. because I value my career and I value being able to take care of my family. And whether or not this um, will negatively affect it is unsure. But I know that this will not benefit my career, in a sense. Um, so once that groundwork was laid, and I felt as though whoever I was talking to or engaging with. Um, could respect that and could be trusted with kind of guarding that. Uh, then, then from then on, um, the relationship or the interactions or whatever would further progress. But uh, yeah, it was definitely put out in the forefront very early on. It's like, hey, you know, I because I, I, I also as crazy as it is, I didn't want anyone else to also feel as though they were going maybe into the closet interacting with me. I yeah, I did have a lot of guilt early on dating um, or even interacting with people because I felt like it was a sacrifice to kind of get to know me and to kind of interact with me in that way in a romantic setting or an intimate setting. So I, I, I was really kind of, there was all types of battles going on. I was fighting and all types of guilt. Um, and it was a very, I honestly, I look back and I'm like, I don't know how I did that. Like, I don't know how you were doing that. Yeah. I mean, cause I'm going to be honest. I mean, if I run into someone, I don't really care how hot you are. Maybe you'd have been an exception, Ryan, but um, if you are still in the closet, <laughs> 
Um, I'm, I would feel like you said that I would be going back in the closet. What was the reaction? Yeah. Were, were, were most people okay with that or, or was there, or did it make it hard to, to... Uh, it definitely made it hard for real genuine connection, no matter if the conversation continued there or didn't, or if, you know, a lot of people also as a, um, a ball player, a professional athlete will sexualize you, you know, you'll be objectified, right. you'll be looked at as just okay well maybe this is just kind of like a one-off or a conquest or whatever the terminology is let's just hmm. all be frank hopefully everyone listening is adults here <laughs> uh, yeah we, I but yeah so. so i mean the 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 conversations with men on can get very shallow and sometimes hmm. you're okay with that sometimes that's all you have to offer uh I yeah even know when i first went on a date with my boyfriend Corey, you know i told him hey i'm i'm in the closet i'm bisexual and he said early on those were two things like where normally it would kind of turn, you know, he would cut and run. Obviously, we, uh, there was something very special there, so he didn't, <laughs> which I'm very grateful for. But, yeah, I mean, it, I, mean I, I never faulted anyone for having any type of reaction to me being in the closet because I understood it was a complicated thing. And, and you are opening yourself up to objectification where you're a professional athlete and on top of it you're not – openly bisexual so you know mm -hmm. there are parameters as to where how far the relationship could go that that's interesting that yeah. you say that um um so i, I want to have you on uh, this week ryan of course because uh i love the essay you wrote in out magazine dear nfl if you want to be lgbtq plus allies hire out players and uh you participate in the national coming out day video earlier this month mm -hmm. you had gronk deandre hopkins all sorts of stars say they're ready for a gay or by player, you referenced the op-ed Troy Vincent wrote expressing support as well. But I, I really loved the way you ended it saying, if they want to create an inclusive league, one that is free of homophobia, one that sends a message of love and inclusivity, here I am, give me a call. What propelled you to write this and what propelled you to write it and end it with that strong of a kicker that if you want to show how accepting you are, here I am, I'm openly bi and I'm a free agent, give me a call. Yeah, I think we've seen, not just in the NFL, but in sports leagues, really in all organizations um, across our nation, when the um, Black Lives Matter movement was at its height and at its peak, and after the very visual, very graphic murder of George Floyd and, you know, Breonna Taylor and, and everyone, and the, the countless many others, uh, we saw a lot of well-crafted statements. We saw a lot of political PR kind of press run things, and we saw a lot of great messaging and branding and, you know, a lot of organizations saying the right things, but especially with the NFL and the history that I depict um, of kind of being very reactive in the states of um, social justice, there is more than just kind of those statements. You know, I, I want to see a league that I love and that I believe in that I and blessed to be a part of and interact with, take that next step, and that next step is action. And you know, they have in some ways, uh, just with money and funding and programs and initiatives, but if we really want to create an inclusive league, you know, the excuse of, well, there just aren't any out athletes. You know, that was an excuse for so long. It's like, there's no one, you know, we, we're ready, but, you know, there's just no one out. Um, well, you can't use that excuse anymore because there is. I am out. Uh, I am an athlete. I'm 28. I'm at the prime of my the height of my athletic um, career or life, so to say. COVID's happening. A lot of players are opting out. You know, injuries are happening. There was no preseason. There's a lot of availability. Uh, give me a call. You know, there's an opportunity yeah. here for you to kind of put your, um, put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. 
So let's see that happen. Even even at the least, if it's not if it's not giving me a call, which it should be, even at the least, we could have um an uh, ambassador of inclusion that was an out player where you have so many candidates now, kind of how the NBA has a Jason Collins or the MLB has um a Billy Bean. You know, there there are ways to get LGBTQ plus athletes specifically that were in your league to the table and bring them to the table, and I think that it would be a miss for them not to do that. Do you think this is the reason why you're uh, unsigned right now? Uh, I honestly don't know. I could I could give it. There are. I think it could definitely be one of the contributing factors. I'm not going to say it's end all be all. There are plenty other reasons why teams and players don't align. <laughs> um, but I I mean, yeah, I believe it's a factor. I, I believe there are teams who are unsure of whatever they would deem a distraction or imbalance of their locker rooms or how their players would feel or how their staff would feel or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there could be a list of a thousand excuses. I really don't have time for it. At the end of the day, I am here to help a team win, and I'm here to make a team better, and those are the only things that really should matter in the realm of football. <laughs> yeah. Have you received any reaction from NFL circles since the piece was published? Uh, yeah, I've received. I I have um, people in the NFL offices and, and staff that I have talked to, of course, and, and been working to make it a more inclusive place. We talked about uh, the NFL Pride um, panel that they did this year for Pride and, and just NFLPride.com, making that a place for the whole, for allies and queer people. Um, in the NFL family to see themselves and be represented in, in a place that will live there forever. You know, we've had talks of further initiatives. Like you said, the the national coming out PSA was something that we worked on together very closely. Um, so, I mean, I when they saw the op-ed, because it was, no, it was no surprise, I let them know. I sent them the link, hey, this is happening. Uh, they The comment back was that it was tough but fair. They, you know, I, I don't think I didn't say anything. Agreed shot the line as the NFL as an organization challenges its players to be better and be the best players and people they can be, the players also have that right and the obligation to challenge the league and organization to be the best that it can be. So the op-ed was just an example of that. Yeah. Yeah. And have you had any uh, players reach out to you or? Yeah, I still have a lot of really good friends in the league. I've had people who are um, very much, rooting me on, in a sense, and invest in this journey. And, and they agree that the league should be open to anyone who's willing to put in the work and make the sacrifices. I mean, that's, that's the, that is the, the price to play, right? You know, just making the sacrifices, being the teammate, be, being accountable, being responsible, and, and being hardworking. You know, those are the only things that really matter on a team. Yeah, and you know, I think the point that you make in the piece and you talk about the NFL's domestic violence initiatives post-Ray Rice and then, of course, Colin Kaepernick and how that was dealt compared to the Goodell Black Lives Matter message this summer. And, you know, I think the point mm -hmm. about the NFL doing things for PR is correct. And but you look at the you know, you look at LGBTQ issues in particular. I mean, as you know, the league has been and you say this in the piece has been very supportive at the corporate level and has been for some years now, you know, whether it's uh, threatening to not host the Super Bowl in Georgia, if they pass an anti gay mm -hmm. ordinance, whether it was doing the same thing in Arizona. Um, so why do you think there's this disconnect between pretty public corporate support and yet no active, openly LGBT player in the league? I mean, cause at the end of the day, you know, each team is its own little organization. It's its own little mini, 
mini entity, and these are run by, you know, owners and GMs and people who have their own ideology, ideology, their own way of doing things, their own system, whatever it may be, um, their own philosophy of how they want their teams to be run. And that doesn't always um, coincide with the corporate umbrella NFL messaging or branding or initiatives or direction. So I think, I mean, I think a lot goes into it. I, I think it takes not just the NFL as an organization, but it takes a team and an owner in, in a specific franchise um, to really not just believe in that, not just say, oh, yeah, okay, if we have an out player, you know, we'll be supportive, but to really move um, to make that inclusion and move to create that space and, and move to really make that big leap. And we see it kind of in small ways, you know, with NFL teams, uh, putting up pride colors and putting up rainbow colors, you know, having San Francisco moving to have a pride game and, and things like this. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's really about getting the players and getting the people in the room. Even we see coaches, um, queer coaches now, I, I think that is even – I don't think people realize even how huge that is. I mean, we, female coaches was huge, and then we have queer coaches. That's huge. I mean, people really – you really have to get these people, get our people into the room in these spaces. We see an increased rate, still, you know, still disparative to white coaches. We see an increased rate of black head coaches in the league, in the league, right. and whether there's correlation or causation between that and the now the record number of black starting quarterbacks in the league, I can't really speak to. Yeah. But the the representation is there. You know, you see it. Right. You see black people and minority people and queer people being put in roles of leadership, visible roles of leadership, and you see that effect rippling throughout the whole franchise. So I think we need to find a franchise that is willing to do that for the LGBTQ plus community and for really the franchise in their city because teams feed into their city, into their environment, into the people that are around them and support them and watch their games and wear their colors. And I, I hope that they really see this opportunity here to make sports and to make football in general a place for all people. Yeah. Uh, and what, what was the conversation like around sexuality uh, from your experience in NFL locker rooms? There really wasn't much conversation about sexuality. Yeah. I mean, the a lot of guys, there's so many different um, personalities in the locker room. So you have guys, you know, who have been married for forever. You know, they, like, married their high school sweethearts. They've got kids. They're, I mean, why would they talk about sexuality? They're like, you know, I'm, you know, I, I got my, my lady. <laughs> We're good. You know, I'm, I'm talking about education. I'm talking about policy. I mean, I'm talking about all these other things. You know, a lot of guys talk about sports and a lot of, NFL, even though I don't know why people might not believe this, but a lot of time spent in NFL locker rooms is talking about football. I mean, that's why we're all there. That's what brings us all together. You know, if we're not talking about football and we're not focused, we might not be there together for long. Um, so, I mean, I think the people see quote-unquote locker room talk as kind of sitting down and shooting the shit. shit. I mean, apologize for my language, but, you know, just kind of sitting there and just talking guy talk for hours on hours. And really, it's not like that. You're exhausted because you just got beat up in practice. You're thinking about the meetings later on today. You're thinking about eating, rehydrating, and you're talking about football. I mean, that's that's what it is. I guess you got to leave that guy talk to the real men like Trump and Billy Bush. Um, <laughs> but, but so, so that's interesting though. And I have gotten that theme from you from, uh, reading you as well over the last few years. I mean, it, cause you know, we have this image that like the football locker room is this really close place where, you know, these guys are brothers and they, they're doing everything together and they're so close, but you make it sound like that it's, uh, really more of a workplace than anything else. I mean, yeah, cause football isn't, it's, it's not something you just 
yes, it's a job, and yes, there's professionalism, but it also there's a lifestyle commitment to it. You know, what you eat um, will affect your performance, how much you sleep, you know, how much you go out, you know, how much you work out with your meetings, how much you study. It really, especially in season, it really dictates everything that you do in your life. You know, you kind of look at your day-to-day, like, is this going to benefit me playing? Not even is this going to hurt me playing. Is this going to benefit my game? And if not, then you kind of weed it out. <laughs> and I think, yeah, we feel, I think that sacrifice is what creates that brotherhood, that willingness, you know, kind of, I've, I've never been in the Army, my brother is too, but kind of that willingness to kind of sacrifice and put everything on the line for the betterment of the team and the man next to you is kind of what really creates that strong bond, not necessarily that you're sitting there in the locker room talking about, you know, the whole world of topics for hours on end, you know, and you see eye to eye about stuff. No, it's, it's really that willingness and that commitment to this game that has brought us together. The, the other part of your uh, Out Magazine piece that I'm really interested in is the portion about Kaepernick's protest in 2016, the reaction to it. You're at the Buccaneers at the time. You describe a meeting with uh, ownership about the protests. And uh, tell me a little bit about that and how that all went down. Yeah. First of all, I I had met the uh, Glazer family you know, they, they come by and say hi to all the players, and especially at the beginning of the season, and, and you get an opportunity to really uh, kind of meet them and shake hands and, and sit down and talk. But uh, during the season, if you see ownership, it's normally because, like, something bad is going on. You know, like, maybe your head coach is being replaced or, like, they're not happy with how the team's doing. Like, it's normally something very, like, like oh, shit, okay, what's going on? Um, so I had that reaction at first when I heard we were meeting with ownership. I was like, oh, shit, okay. <laughs> what's about to happen. Um, but I was hopeful the conversation started out very much like, you know, we know that there is a protest going on. We know that we have a lot of players that whose families and communities are affected. What can we do to help? Um, so I, I was very inspired uh, by that and by that willingness. Like, okay, this, this protest and this, this action and Colin Ka- that was led by Colin Kaepernick is really bearing fruit. Um, of course, there's always going to be a business aspect when you talk with ownership because that's, that's their job. This is their business. Um, so when I found that it was a lot of, well, what can we do so that you don't do this and that we don't lose fan support from this, uh, I was still a little disheartened. But I was like, okay, I mean, but that's a trade-off, right? Protests are to bring awareness and to bring change. And once you have the change, you no longer um, need the protest. <laughs> but uh, you, you kind of just see people who – not everybody gets it. You know what I mean? Like not everybody yeah. understands that lives are at stake, you know, not ticket sales, not Jersey sales, not, you know, A, B or C, but lives, like lives are at stake. Um, but that doesn't, if anything, it just made me want to fight harder. It made me want to work harder for equality and for the people who aren't in this room right now, for the people who don't get a chance to meet with ownership of their organization and really explain. Um, so I, I, I hope that more things like that were, were happening across the league and that would, would lead to more action because I think that's, that's even what the op-ed that I just wrote is about action. You know, like we, we know how to say all the right things. You know how to sit down and have the conversation. We, we've identified the issues. We've brought awareness. Like where the, where's the action? Right. And and what do you think about what you've seen in the league so far this year in terms of the corporate messaging and what uh what coaches are permitting players to do? Yeah, I think it's amazing that um, the NFL, like like it's uh, like other major sports leagues, 
uh, is finally allowing their players really to own their power and to really speak up and use their face. We see it, of course, with LeBron and guys in the NBA. You've seen it in the WNBA for years. You know, those those women have really been leading a lot of movements and a lot of social justice, really setting the bar for a lot of leagues to be more involved. Um, so hats off to them. But I, I think it's great to finally see the NFL doing that and empowering their players to do it. Because, I mean, players can do it. You know, you can create a platform online on social media and do it yourself. But when the NFL shield is then attached to you and the NFL is now giving you their platform, you're going to reach a whole nother audience. You know what I mean? Because you're going to reach people that have never been in these situations, that have never been black, that have never been queer, that have never, been, you know, whatever it is, had these disparities felt racism, felt hate for being just the way they were born, um, and you finally get their ear because now the NFL is allowing you to um, – projecting really your voice into these, these areas and these spaces. So, I mean, I, there's a lot of great things that the NFL is doing, of course, like I said, with funding, with money, and specific teams feeding back into the communities that they belong in. Uh, it's great. I, I, like I said, the NFL will always challenge athletes to give more. We will always challenge the NFL to give more. So it's like, okay, what's the next step? What's the five-year plan? What's the 10-year plan? Okay, what are we doing for this community? What are we doing in this city, in this area? Um, that's all. Yeah. but And you mentioned this in the, in the piece too. How do you feel about Colin Kaepernick still being unsigned? And do you think that at all um, takes away from the some of the, the, the power or uh, genuine nature, for lack of a better term, of the NFL's uh, push for Black Lives Matter? It's odd. <laughs> that's, that's that's the first thing that comes to mind. It's just odd. Yeah. I mean, even if even if it's not necessarily you know you wanting him to be your starting quarterback, the fact that he's not in a locker room, the fact that he's not you know in I don't even know even in like corporate offices somewhere, the fact that you know him and Roger Goodell are having like a sit down, like it's just so the fact that the NFL itself isn't even promoting what he's saying. You know what I'm saying? Giving their platform to him to speak. Um, it's just odd. It seems like a really obvious miss for me. <laughs> and I mean, none of us really know what exactly conversations have been like between Kaepernick and the NFL. You know, we're not in those rooms. We, I don't, I'm not his best friend. He's not telling me anything. <laughs> um, but it does seem strange and odd and like a, a huge miss for the NFL. Yeah, and, you know, to even talk about it in a business sense, I mean, Kaepernick, his jersey was one of the top-selling jerseys the year in 2017 when he was out of the league, and he remains uh, very popular. His Nike products uh, fly off the shelves. So it, it is odd, and, and in some ways, Ryan, I think it's similar to there being no openly gay or bisexual player, you know, active player right now because you said it. you think it's up to the – because, again, I just don't see where – the negative business impact would come at this point from that. I just don't. Yeah, for sure. It's not, it's right. not, it, I think, I think at one point they could have used the dollar to, you know, at it being quote unquote bad business. I don't think that's an excuse anymore. I think the media, especially when it comes to out players has used the um, media distraction excuse. I think we have dispelled that. Also, that was an excuse made off of literally no um, examples, <laughs> literally no um, proof or evidence or, past circumstance um so i think really uh leagues and teams and ownership and whoever it may be they're running out of reasons really to other than kind of flat out you don't want it you know what i mean i mean you're you're really running out of places to hide here 
Um, but the onus is on them. We can continue to challenge, continue to do things. I will continue to train and be ready and be vocal about um, my beliefs and people born the way that I am and I look the way that I am and don't look the way that I am and don't love the way that I do and to make sure to continue to speak for all people in the terms of equality and love. And, I mean, at the end of the day, I will not be silenced. You know, we will not be silenced. We're not going away. We're not disappearing. Only more out athletes will be coming. Only more out and LGBTQ plus youth will be going into sports and sticking with sports. And the time, I mean, it's not a matter of how, it's just a matter of when, you know. <laughs> it's, just, it's a time game now. So do you think that's the, 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 the reason that they, I'm assuming you mean the owners, just don't want it for whatever reason? I don't know. I mean, I, how much time do you have? I mean, we could sit here and speculate <laughs> on a thousand different, a thousand different reasons. Um, I'm not sure. I, yeah. I'm not an owner. I don't know what it takes to run an NFL team. I am definitely not the most qualified person to answer that question. Um, but I'm down to speculate. How, how much time do we have? <laughs> give me, give me, give me. I mean, we have a few minutes left. Give me your your main as someone who's been in the league and had these conversations. You know, and been around. Just I'm very, you know, very curious. What is, what is your some of your some of your speculation? I mean, it could be um, in terms of your fan base. You don't know how the fan base respond. You don't know how maybe your locker room respond. Maybe it could be a key player in your team. You don't know how you need this player to be pacified. You don't know how that will. Interact. It could be your own personal beliefs. It could be, um, I don't know, it could be misinformation. You could be fed misinformation about out players or out athletes in terms of talent, in terms of performance. Um, the media maybe has not been kind to you before and you're worried about the media turning on you. I mean, a lot of teams are struggling right now. So it's like, do you want to put a spotlight on the team that's also, okay, we don't want to really expose our staff and our team to how kind of bad our season is going or the construction of our theme. Uh, I mean, there, there's a bunch of, what else? <laughs> I mean, it, it could be anything. But you, you didn't mention attitude of the players. You don't think that, you think, you don't think that, you think players are supportive? Uh, I can't say every single player is supportive. I mean, I don't think every single person is, you know, here in Los Angeles is supportive. Uh, right. I, I think I think until we sit down and really go around the locker room and ask, that people will believe what they want to believe. So if you believe that your locker room is more non-supportive than supportive and you've never asked, then that's just the information or really the misinformation that you'll make decisions off of. Um, so I think that's why it's also a very powerful thing to see, like the national coming out PSA, when you see players – whose names and teams and pedigree and years and experience are underneath them say that, Hey, I'm good with this. I'm okay. Like I want my teammate to be my teammate first and none of that other stuff matters. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I think, I think at that point, then you get into a, a kind of like a don't ask, don't tell, you know, like I, well, I don't know. I just, uh, no, something just tells me my locker room, you know, doesn't want that or something like that. It's like, Oh, well, did you ask your locker room? Did you ask your players? <laughs> It's like, oh, no. It's like, okay, well, you should. If that's yeah. really a concern for yours, then wouldn't you want to know that? Right. No, absolutely. Right. It's like you don't want to ask the question because you may not like the answer. Um, so, Ryan, uh, you're very busy. You're out in L.A., very creative guy. Do you have any uh, any great pro- any projects in the works that you'd like to uh, tell our listeners about? Oh, my God. Uh, 
Well, since we were talking about it earlier, everyone, please check out my YouTube channel. It's just fun. It's light. You'll get to know me and my boyfriend, Corey, a little bit better. Um, the channel is just our names, Corey and Russ. Go check it out. Give it a subscribe. Give it a watch. Have some laugh. Uh, if you want to see something specific, let us know. In terms of me, I have a poetry book out right now, Prisoner yes. of Passion, and kind of talks about my life experiences in a very um, in an art form that I find very vulnerable and revealing and intense. So you can buy that online anywhere. Check that out. I'm currently writing my memoirs. Which I can't wait to have more information about that coming soon. It's been a project I've been working on since coming out, and it's been super challenging and stressful. How many – I, I, I was going to ask, uh, first, of, about poetry. <laughs> when did you fall in love with poetry? It's, it's, it's interesting. Oh, my God. I've, I've been writing poetry since I was a little kid. I lost my stepfather at a very young age, and I think poetry was the first way – I started kind of really dealing with that feel, those feelings and, and identifying them and trying to work through them as well. Um, but I didn't really start sharing poetry till almost after college, um, really, when I was just showing kind of my brothers and friends. They were like, oh, this is dope. Like, you should, you should put this out there. And then um, I, I lost one of my best friends in 2018 to cancer, and life just seemed incredibly short and incredibly unreliable and incredibly – um, yeah, just kind of finicky. And I was like, you know, I should just pursue everything that I want to pursue. I should pursue love in whatever, however, whoever I want to. I should pursue writing and poetry. I should pursue my football career boldly and proudly. You know, it's just, it was kind of this moment where I'm just like, I don't have time. You know, I don't know how much time I have, and I don't want to waste any of it. Um, so that's been a little bit of my journey with writing and really with becoming very, um, comfortable with myself and valuing myself how many pages of the memoir are you uh gearing to crank out per day oh my god i have so much stuff really we're doing the proposal <laughs> right now so we could get a major publisher and really you know make yeah. an impact and make sure that i can get it into as many hands of the people who need it will benefit from it or just interested in it or anything um as possible but uh, right now i have about i got like seventy thousand words written i really have oh like a god. book kind of written wow. <laughs> Uh, wow. I'm just also, I mean, it's my life story, you know? So it's like, you keep, you're very meticulous. You edit, you're, you know, this is like my baby. I want it to be, yeah, I'm just very uh, <laughs> protective of it. <laughs> no, I, I can't wait. can't wait to read it. Uh, Ryan Russell, you can follow him on Twitter at RK Relentless. Ryan, thanks for keeping mm -hmm. with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So thank you for tuning in to episode 37 of the Sports Kiki. I should have mentioned, by the way, for those who may not know, uh, Ryan Russell's last season in the NFL was 2017 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He recorded two sacks in that season. Uh, he played in seven games. Uh, he was with the Buffalo Bills in training camp of 2018, but suffered an injury and has been unsigned since. But as he said in the essay and as he said with us on the show here today, his phone is on, he's ready for the call, and we hope he gets it sooner rather than later. So a huge thanks to Ryan for not just coming on the show, being as open and honest as he was. Uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, I will talk to you next on the show next week on Halloween. Ooh, a COVID Halloween, very scary, especially if you go to a house party. Talk to you then.